0: Hello, I'm Joshua. And hi, I'm Mary. Welcome to From the Heart. Orlando is widely known for its tourist spots and attractions, but many people don't know about its thriving arts community.
1: We are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community. How do they create and why? And how can Orlando benefit from an even greater arts presence?
0: On each episode, we'll meet guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference. From the Heart. Hello, Mary. Hi, Joshua. How's it going, my friend? Fantastic. Well, we had a busy week. We had a very busy week, but it was such a wonderful, uh, encouraging, productive week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes you can just be busy, and it's just for the sake of being busy, but I felt like we got to do some cool things. We hosted the Miss City Beautiful and Miss Central Florida and Miss Kissimmee pageant this weekend, which was so much fun. And the
1: teen version, too, yes? Yeah, and
0: the teen version. And you know, there were some really talented Poised, beautiful young ladies, but I loved hearing them talk about their platforms and mm-hmm. their passion. And we've got some real uh, community changers coming up through. Yes,
1: and their questions were difficult. Their questions, they had questions were difficult. questions about what's difficult. happening in our government, about uh, weapons at colleges, uh, same sex. Uh, bathrooms i mean it was just like everything
0: i was just glad i was asking the questions and not answering them because there
1: <laughs> were some really really tough
0: ones really it was tough and then monday was the groundbreaking for the steinmetz hall the new 1700 yes. seat acoustic and uh, you were the, there yeah i got to be part of the shovelers of the groundbreaking and in the video and it was really awesome and it's just exciting to see the home for the philharmonic and the, the opera and the ballet coming to fruition we won't see it till mid-2020, but it is on its way. The, the dirt has been um, shoveled, uh, I guess, figuratively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, congratulations it's for a, having that shovel full. Yeah, and then our friend Colton e. Smith and all of uh, the people who work so hard at Creative City Project launched uh, on Tuesday the new vision for that, which is now Immerse, uh, which is yes, what it's they called. they changed the name. They changed the name. And so looking forward to that in October of this year to... To those that are listening out there, what a cool experience Creative City is to shut down downtown Orlando and have art installations. And there'll be more than
1: one night this time, yes? They're
0: hoping. it's. I think it's October 21st, and they're hoping to do the 22nd as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it just depends on if all the stars align and they can get it uh, before next October. But it's definitely October 21st of this year.
1: I'm excited. So for people who want to know more about it, they can go to the website, for the Creative City project. Yeah, I
0: think it's called immerse.city.us That's or something right. now. There's a new website, but I'm sure if you go to Creative City, it'll it'll link you there, but we're we're proud of Cole and his board of directors yeah. and all that they're doing uh, to make our city more creative.
1: So this week did change me and I forgot to tell you how much. Oh. <laughs> I've just been wearing this around the house, so my husband remembers. Oh, <laughs> I just had to bring it in because oh, I couldn't. I knew it loyal, would make him laugh.
0: Wonderful listeners, I wish you could see Mary right now. If only this was a TV show. <laughs> She's got her oversized beauty crown. I was going on to bring head. it that
1: night, and I thought, no, I don't want the girls to think I'm making fun of them. I just wanted to make you laugh. <laughs> once I had to play a fairy godmother and that's why I had it. well
0: it works you know you're an improv star comedic timing is all uh, is what it's all about and you just nailed it so good job Aww. you had it hiding behind something over there I always have it on me oh. you never know it folds up and put and you put it in your pocket so when Jason you know doesn't agree with you, you just pull it out and put it on and say Jason remember well we have a wonderful guest today and uh, I have so much respect for this lady not only is she just a great human being, but uh, an intellectual, an intellectual artist um, who really understands her craft and teaches others about it. And so we are very excited today to have Dr. Inna Heller, who is the executive director of the Cornell Museum of Fine Arts. It is executive director, right, Inna?
2: No, it's director.
0: Director. <laughs> cool. We're, we just gave you an executive title. There you go. You're the you're the you're the executive director in my eyes.
2: Well, actually, in in <laughs> in, in museum world, it's better to be director than it's executive director. It's better to director. be director. Yes. In what I, way? Because executive director implies more sort of the administrative aspects of the job, while director implies that you also have the scholarly um, dimension and oh, nice. you're in charge of the uh, you know exhibitions and whatnot.
1: Is that your favorite part, the exhibitions? Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: So does that translate kind of like to the artistic director in a performing arts organization?
2: Sort of. uh, y- yes. But see, it, we don't have both. So usually it's one and the same person. So I don't have an executive director who can do the boring stuff I don't want to do. So, <laughs> you know, and the fundraising and all of that. So it's but generally museum directors will have the background that an artistic director will for performing arts groups.
1: In reading about you um or stalking you on the internet. (laughs) A lot of times your title is Bruce A. Beale, director of the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. And I wanted to ask you who Bruce A. Beale is
2: or was. So uh, Bruce A. Beale is an alum of Rollins College, class of 1960. And he is on the board of trustees. And he is a great supporter of Rollins in general, of the arts. And he's the person who endowed this position. Wow. wow, that's very cool. So that's why I use the name, and people get confused because they don't know if my name is Bruce Beale or Anna Heller. <laughs> 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 so I do get letters. Dear Dr. Bruce Beale. <laughs> that's funny. Artists do
0: have a complex sometimes. So maybe you just did. So tell us about the Cornell Fine Arts Museum.
2: The Cornell Fine Arts Museum is a really, really, really cool museum. Um, it's been on the campus of Rollins College for. Any number of years in different incarnations, the collection really goes back more than a hundred years. but the Cornell Fine Arts Museum, with this name and in its this location, has been there since nineteen seventy eight um, And we have a fantastic collection that uh, is probably the largest or the broadest, rather. A collection in the Orlando area because we have European old masters, we have antiquities, we have everything up through the 21st century. And so uh, we conduct a different conversation as far as art history is concerned because of the European and the older art. And, and what we really try is to compare and contrast and have these, what we call conversations or dialogues between old art and new art. And, you know, see, basically just look at the history of art and say, how is it still relevant to us today? And what can we learn from art? What can we learn from art? What can you, we learn from engagement with art? You know, how do you even look at art? Um, and and how can you go into the museum and leave feeling better or having learned something?
0: I love that. And you are all about conversations yes. in your museum about centuries and styles and all, all sorts of things. And you want people to be educated about the art, not just experience it, which is important when you walk through a gallery, resume, but you want them to be educated. What are like some specific things you do as a leader of that museum that educate people if they're, even if they're just coming to visit.
2: Well, it really all starts with the planning for exhibitions and programs. So we're very intentional in the types of exhibitions that we organize. And we have more than one temporary exhibition at a time. So also we're intentional in the way that, that the exhibitions can have conversations among themselves, if you will. So we we, we, we have a narrative thread. And then we want to show how certain things happen differently in different ages or in different places. I'll give you an example. Right now we have three exhibitions on view. The, the anchor is called The uh, Black Figure in the European Imaginary, and it's really a war, an exhibition of 19th century European art that looks at the fascination that Europeans had in painting and, and, and drawing and prints with, with the black figure, you know, that they saw it as exotic, they saw it as as distant as other. Um, and, and then we pick that theme up in the other two exhibitions uh, that are a little bit smaller, that, that one of which shows works by contemporary artists that sort of talk back to the works in the 19th century exhibition. And so how has this changed? Over a hundred years, and kind of moving on to this side of the Atlantic, because in that exhibition we're dealing with American, African American, in particular, artists. So how do tropes change? How do positions change? You know, do we look at this the same way? And uh, what have we learned in a hundred years? If something, anything. Um, how do we today in the 21st century look at these works of art and how do they relate importantly to our reality today? And, you know, you mentioned the educational factor. The reason it's really important for us is because we are a college art museum. We're on a campus. And so our students uh, and faculty are are our priority, but they're not our only constituency. And what I love about being at this museum is that you know the same educational process that you do with your students and your faculty, you can do with the general public. And we are, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but we are open to everybody. We're free. We don't charge admission. We don't charge for any of our programs. So you can come in and get an education for free, as it were. And the other thing that I want to mention, you know, so many people think education is boring, you know, or mm-hmm. or intimidating, or why would I do this? But I just want to say that coming to our museum can be a lot of fun, too. Hmm. <laughs> in what way? In in a lot of different ways. I mean, first of all, it's just, you know, it's a place where you can relax. It's a place where you can sort of leave everything that's going on in your life behind, right, and not worry about X, Y, and Z, and just look at something truly beautiful and, uh, you know, experience that. You can bring your kids. I mean, we have we have an education gallery where we have themed stations for kids from toddlers through tweens and and they have so much fun and then you can leave them there to do their thing and you can look at the art or you can do things together we have themed totes that you take around the museum and you could do little games with your kids and it engages the parents and the children and and I think one of the the most important things for me is to try to take down that barrier that some people perceive in museums. You know, oh, it's intimidating, or I don't know the art talk, or I really don't know how to look at this. And so we teach you how to do that. And it's free, it's easy, it's, it's small and intimate, which, which I think adds to the experience. It's not that large, gigantic hall that's intimidating. And, and we kind of went one step further with this, and we have a lot of our contemporary art collection on view at the Alfond Inn, which is a hotel, so and But it's the same great art from the collection of the museum, except it's in this public place where you don't feel intimidated and where it becomes part of your environment. And I, that, that was very intentional that once you hang out at the Alphonse and have your cocktail or, you know, have your tea and, and you see this great art on the walls, then you can come to the museum and it's the same art. It's just a different place, but it's the same conversation. And, and you know, what I'm very passionate about is to get that conversation to be a part of, everyday people's lives
0: i love that and you i really want to promote the fact that it's free that's a really big deal. big deal and you were the cause of that i mean you you that you are passionate about making sure people could access it how did you do that and why did you do that
2: um i mean the the why is very obvious you know i i I'm a firm believer in, in access to the arts. I grew up in Europe where a lot of museums are free. And I think that particularly being on a campus, it, it's just very counterintuitive to charge. Um, how we did that is obviously uh, by uh, managing to get um, a sponsor for free admission. And we've done that for four years in a row now. So Has it been the same sponsor? No, it's been uh, the first year we went out on a limb because it was our 35th anniversary and we said we're going to make it free for the anniversary and then we'll see how it goes. And, you know, the response was so positive as as we expected that then we got one one uh, funder for one year and now we have another one for two. That's wonderful. Very nice.
0: That's very cool. So, you know, you were you and I graduate together from Leadership Orlando and I saw your leadership skills thrive even through there but as leaders we always want to make sure our product or the things that we're passionate about are applicable to the culture today. You know, and how do you take antiquities for you know antiquities or or visual arts that may seem so old or outdated to people who are not familiar with visual arts? How do you make that important in somebody's life today? Because you said I want to make sure that this is a conversation of everyday people. Mm-hmm. How do you do that besides that being on the walls or being an education? How do you really immerse antiquities into the life of everyday people?
1: I like that question. Well, that's, I'm curious about the answer. I really yeah. am. <laughs> By the way, everyone, we're listening to 107.7 FM, Magic. Uh, we're from the heart.
2: Well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the way, I mean, and that kills me because as a historian, I always lament – and, you know, when people say, oh, well, you know, history, because it happened so long ago, it's not no longer relevant. And of course it is. But you you have to make it seem so. And so the question is very pertinent. Um, one way we do that is uh, in the way we install our permanent collection, where we juxtapose works from the 15th century with works from the 21st century and it's mm. thematic. So when you see them juxtapose that way and you realize that deep down they deal with the same issue or they have the same symbolism, although, you know, it's clothed in different uh, modern terms, then you start realizing, you know, people were, you know, c- uh, concerned with the same issues. They had the same experiences and they related them through art. So it's really not all that different. That's one way we do it. Another way we do it is, of course, through programs. I mean, we have docent-led tours and all kinds of of, um, tours and experiences that start to uh, spell that out in a little bit of a more detailed
0: way. And you have things like scavenger hunts and all sorts of really fun things to make it like you said, more fun, right? Yes, yes, we do. Well, we have so much, we are just scratching Mm -hmm. the surface of the Cornell and Dr. Inner Heller. So join us back here on Magic 107.7 From the Heart as we continue this conversation about the arts in Orlando.
1: back to From the Heart. So excited to be here today with my resourceful, wise, bold and pert co-host Joshua Vickery. <laughs> and we have Anna Heller today, our guest director of the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. Anna, it's such a pleasure having you here. Um, one of the things that I read about you that intrigued me is that you were born in Romania. Yes. What was it like growing up there and what t- took you into the interest of art back there?
2: Uh, oh, gosh, that's um, it, it was it was difficult. Um, you know, I grew up under communism, and I come from a family that had significant, you know, suffering from from the communist regime. So from that point of view, not great. Um it did make me who I am, so um that I'm thankful for. And the other thing I'm really thankful for is I come from a family where the arts and especially learning and history were extremely important. So uh my mom would take us to museums um ever since we were very, very young. Um and you know, rubbed off on me, not on my sister who ended up going to medical school. But just two of the two of you? Just two of us. Are you younger or you older? I'm the younger mm-hmm. and my mom tells me this story which I have no recollection of, but she tells me the story of I my first love was ballet. So she would take me to the ballet class and on the way we would stop at this little art gallery and and we'd always see what exhibition was there. And she said that I always had very definite um, opinions about, you know, like this is good, this is not good. So she said that she knew back then I would be an art critic, but um, Mm. I I had no idea. (laughs) I love that. A lot of times as children,
1: we kind of. Foreshadow what we had. You had observation
0: and analytical skills at a young age. Mm. I think I was just more argumentative. (laughs) (laughs) What brought you to the States?
2: Um, Well, we, my whole family emigrated. Um, We came as political refugees. Um, Wow. uh, Hard word to say today, isn't it? Um, And we came here in the 80s, um, and I went to graduate school. So I had had almost finished college in Romania um, and went to graduate school in New York City.
0: And tell us about what you did in New York City, because you opened a, a museum. Tell us about that.
2: Yes. So after I finished graduate school at NYU, um, I was the first, the founding director of the Museum of Biblical Art in New York City. Um, after I had run the uh, gallery of the American Bible Society for a while. So it was Oh, it was an interesting experience. It was a museum dedicated to biblical art so that we defined very broadly. So it was anything from biblical archaeology to Andy Warhol and everything in between. We didn't have a collection, so all we did was temporary exhibitions. And I used to joke that if you give me any work of art in about 10 minutes, I'm going to tie it back to the Bible somehow. <laughs> so, you know, it was a very, I mean, it's just, just such a broad and fascinatingly rich uh, field. Is that museum still there? No, unfortunately, it closed about two years ago. Mm.
0: So what's the difference between founding a museum and starting a museum and walking into a museum like the Cornell that has incredibly rich history uh, and, and already ways and means, you know, that are already set up? What's the difference between those two scenarios in a visual arts world?
2: Oh gosh, it's so much better here.
0: <laughs> oh really? That's not what I expected you to say.
2: Really? Yeah. Well, I thought that you might
0: say that there were so many things that were expected to be done a certain way. I mean, your your name even has your 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 uh, title even has a name attached to it. Like that, there'd be so many things that were set in stone that you didn't feel the freedom uh, like you would in starting your own museum. I, I mean, I guess that's what I expected you to say, but.
2: Yeah, no, you know, the difference is, I mean, first of all, you know, the collection is, is wonderful here, and I didn't have a collection there, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to move. Um, but but the other big difference is, of course, we are on a campus, um, and, and so I think campus museums are so much richer because they have the intellectual muscle of the entire college behind them. And I really, you know, we really uh, benefit from that in so many different ways. And, you know, as to things being done a certain way, that's the fun of coming in as the new director because you get to change things around. And um, I think we've done a lot of that since, since I got here, but uh, people were very open to doing that. And I think everybody had the feeling when I first came in that the museum had a lot of potential that was sort of bubbling under the surface, you know, like it's almost there, but it hadn't quite happened. And so it was really, really fulfilling to be able to just, you know, pull back the curtain as it were and reveal some of that immense potential that the collection and uh, the programs have. So you've been here since 2012. Yes. When you
1: first took the job, were you did you know right away you wanted to come or did you think like, what is it that made you decide, yes, I'm going to go to Orlando, I'm going to go to Winter Park and stay at Rollins?
2: So when I first came, my first cam- interview for the for the job, um, I remember just driving towards campus, and the closer I got to campus, the better I felt about, you know, just the environment. And when I got to campus, I, I remember calling my husband back in New York, and I said, you know, honey, this is not the Florida we know. I think we can live here. And, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but it was really meeting the people at Rollins and uh, getting to learn the collection and uh you know, it just felt like a good fit, and I'm happy to say that it's actually been an even better fit than I thought. I'm so happy wow. to hear that. Yeah.
1: It's a beautiful campus.
2: Yes, it is. It's we're always voted number one or number two in the country for mm-hmm. the most beautiful campus. Um, speaking of voting, you two have a lot in common with Orlando Magazine.
0: Why is
1: that? Well, I was doing like a little research, and well, you were. I, I have it written down because my memory is just horrible, but. You were the 50, 50 most powerful entertainment in the arts, so you oh, yeah. were number five, and you were number three as community leaders, and then Central Florida Community Arts got number one as community group. Yeah. But that was in 2012, and you both were at the same time. Yeah, and I think this last
0: five. i think this last year, Inna yeah. was in the top 50 most powerful people in yeah, Orlando, yeah. and yeah. I was in the 15 to watch, so yes. we made our Leadership Orlando class proud. <laughs> yes. Top 50, top 15 to watch is that
1: five in common, and, and I got to read it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> mary you are powerful in, in my eyes i have a tiara <laughs> <laughs> You do have a, tiara, a very large one too so if you're just now listening in magic 107.7 fm from the heart and we're so happy to be spending this sunday evening with you talking about uh visual arts and the arts and community and influence and and those that are making a difference and in a heller is no exception and in a we're we're sitting here and talking about education and, and, and your story and all that. But I have a question for you that you probably will have a very hard time answering. What is your favorite work of art?
2: Oh boy. <laughs> you know, that's, I, that's why like asking me which one's my favorite kid. Exactly. You know, see, I, I ha- knew it would be difficult. But see, I, I only have one child, so <laughs> I that's took easy. care <laughs> of that one. Or I, you can
0: name more than one. Do you have a favorite <laughs> artist? Maybe that's an easier, do you have like a an artist that you just love?
2: Well, I I have a number of artists that I just love, and, and so it's hard because you see, I started as a medieval Renaissance scholar, so I started with Italy in the 14th, 15th centuries. That's where my you know dissertation was. That's where I studied, you know, and and so if you ask me from that group, I would say Brunelleschi, who was an architect of the early Renaissance, and I just adore him, and he's the reason I did my dissertation in. 15th century architecture. Um, you know, since then I've I've dealt with so much art uh, across the board. I mean, I have a particular love for Van Gogh, but I have a particular love for a lot of contemporary artists as well. So you know, it's really hard. Um, it's really hard to just say one when, particular. When one. you like a piece of art, uh, is there a similar feeling that you get? Like
1: it warms your heart, or it makes you think, or which is more cerebral? What it? How do you know that you've come alive a little bit more because of a piece of work?
2: <sighs> Me personally or one? Um, Both. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, everybody, the, the, the beautiful thing about art is that we all react to it so differently. And, you know, what I love about being in the galleries is when I have a bunch of people and, and we talk about exactly that. And, you know, what do you see in this work of art? And I'm going to say something and you're going to say something completely different and so that's the beauty of it uh, for me it's sort of both a cognitive and and an emotional reaction because it just makes me feel good but then it also gets me thinking and and you know so my favorite learning part for myself when I go to a new museum or I see a new exhibition is you know like what am I noticing that I'd never noticed before or, or you know what question am I asking that I'd never asked before and mm. I also say I always say that you know if people come to our museum and leave, Having learned one thing that they didn't know before, I think we will have done our job. I love
0: that. Joshua, well, what about you? When you look at a piece of work, um, what do you mean? When do
1: you know that it's had an impact on you, for good or for? Well,
0: for me, and, and actually, there's a follow-up question to what you're asking me that I was gonna ask. in it is, I I am uh, a fan of very of like nature art, you know, things that are very real and very tangible. I have a hard time with abstract art. It doesn't move me like it probably should, even though I am a creative person, because although I am creative, I'm extremely analytical and I'm extremely like, I need tangible and physical and I need to see the mountain. I don't want to, I don't want to find it in the reds and blues, you know, like that's my personality. Mm -hmm. And so for me, nature work, um, beautiful um, autumn scenes and colors, you know, I have a a painter that I told, and that I love Daniel Wall that, um just there's certain but it has to be tangible it has to be physical if that makes sense like i i have to be able to see the deer and the brook and the <laughs> but then what it does is it transports me to that place mm. if it's something that i can connect with that that i love then it it really does help me transport to that place and put myself in that in that scene um so but i have i have a question that kind of follows up with that is you know so talking about abstract art or different kinds of art contemporary contemporary or renaissance um, for people who are not scholarly like you anna or who don't really understand uh, visual arts if you look at vi- an abstract piece of art and and somebody who's walking through for the first time in an art gallery and they look at it and they go i could do that <laughs> i could throw a bunch of paint up on the wall why are they why is that worth or whatever I'm throwing out. Why is that worth? I could do that. My kids could do that. What makes abstract art art number one? And how does it, how does certain things like that have value?
2: Well, you know, there is a book that says why my three-year-old can't do that, that <laughs> explains that. <laughs> tell us. Or maybe five-year-old, I forget, but there's there's a book like that. You know, that's that's a difficult question that because it's hard to generalize, and I really don't have an ins- easy answer saying this is why abstract art is important. But what I can tell you is if you want to hear a, a, a very cogent explanation of that is come to the Alphandine, where so much of our contemporary art collection, including abstract and conceptual art, which is equally hard, if not harder, to to interpret sometimes, um, is on display. And we have tours every Sunday at 1 o'clock, um, tours by our curators or our docents, and also the first Wednesday of the month. That's the most fun tour, the happy hour tour. Ooh. Well, what time does that start? 5.30, the first Wednesday of the month. You get your cocktail. They have specials. And I should say that some of the cocktails at the Alfond have names that are the titles of the works of art that we have. Oh, that's awesome. Mary, we have to go. Let's go to Happy Hour.
0: Listeners, you should go check this out. Number one, the Alfond Inn in Winter Park is a beautiful hotel, boutique hotel, that's a part of Rollins College and has a great nonprofit mission. But the Alfond collection is beautiful. Some really cool Work so five thirty on Wednesdays, right? Is that what we say? The first, 30, Wednesday first Wednesday of the Wednesday. month. First Wednesday, and then one o'clock on Sundays.
2: And every Sunday at one o'clock. So we'll okay. go the first Wednesday of next month. Yes. Definitely and listeners, be happy if on you want to
0: join
1: us, come. It'd be so fun <laughs> to have you there. We'll ask you about the work. Yeah, it'll be a test.
0: And we can <laughs> it'll be
2: a test afterwards. <laughs>
0: and Dr. Heller would minister it, <laughs> exactly. so you better know all I'll of I'll be
2: there on hand.
0: <laughs> do you, are you there for the tours or probably not all of them, not of course? Not all of
2: them, but, you know, I try to go to some because it's just uh, so much fun. I try to go to most of our lectures and events. It's just, first, I learn something uh, if I'm not giving it. And uh, second, it's it's just nice to see the public's reaction and to have a conversation we really encourage people to ask questions and you know just be relaxed about uh, what they want to know that maybe wasn't covered in the lecture itself.
1: You know, sometimes I look at abstract work and it reminds me of Coltrane music. I, I listen to Coltrane and I know that it's interesting and it's intricate and he's incredibly talented, uh, but it it doesn't
0: necessarily have a melody. I'll go right. hum.
1: It's odd. It's but like it, jazz it's music intriguing. too, kind yes, of jazz music has jazz no on.
0: rhyme or reason. I mean, they're following. You know a certain cadence yeah. and rhythm and things, but the improvisation of jazz music is a little bit like abstract art. Yeah, is, yeah. Is that a good? And Coltrane was like even out there for improv, in my opinion. But
1: <laughs> but so some some abstract I would go
2: okay. Well, you know, the, the, what they all have in common is that they're different languages. Yes. Mm. And I always think about art as, as a, you know, speaking a foreign language. So abstract art, conceptual art, you know, modern art. Once you get a little bit of the terminology and once you get the equivalency, then you can start speaking that language and you will enjoy it. I promise mm. you.
1: Oh, and there's so much more to enjoy. And I'm so glad we have one more segment left that we can do that. <laughs> we'll be right back, listeners. We're from the heart with Joshua Vickery, Mary Thompson Hunt, and today our esteemed guest, Anna Heller from Cornell Fine Arts Museum. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson-Hunt. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Joshua Vickery, (laughs) and we're here with Dr. Anna Heller, uh, Anna Heller of um, the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. She is their director. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to say before we get started with our final segment is that we had a call today from one of our past guests, not too long after we first started the series, Kathy Baldwin, uh, Executive Director of Mustard Seed, who asked us to tell you listeners that it is that time again when they have their reg, well, not red chair, their chair event where they have different artists volunteer their talents, paint chairs, and they auction it off so they can give more money to Mustard Seed who uh, furnishes homes and gives clothing to those in need in our community. And that's coming up on April 7th. If you'd like more information, please call the Mustard Seed. That's 407-342-8437. Or you can go to their website, mustardseedfla.org. But get in touch with them. Uh, because they would love to have your support. Thank you.
0: I think that's wonderful. And I'm so happy she called us to talk about the art chairs. Yes, yes.
1: Well, as we're back here, we were talking a little bit during our break, and I was interested in hearing from you, Dr. Anna, if uh, you wouldn't mind telling us if a young artist who wants to make a career in the visual arts were to ask you what advice you have for them, what would you say?
2: I would say just never give up because, uh, if you are lucky enough to be a creative individual, um, you, you want to continue to grow that and, and you want to do it. And it's hard because, you know, being, being, uh, successful in the arts is, is hard. It's very competitive, but I think more importantly than that is the, the, feeling that you can grow as a creative individual and you can also you know there's so many ways in which you can channel that talent into a uh, profession or a job that you know gives you the the security but I think I think it's it's don't become discouraged if you don't get that commercial success that you expect right away because I think um, being able to develop your your creative skills throughout your life will make your life better, and you'll make you'll make you happier. Whether or not it translates into, um, you know, professional success. That's I love it's great, advice. it's
0: great advice. And I, you know, and, and I, I've already told. I think you're so intelligent, and you're so scholarly, and all of those things. But I love that your advice was never give up, <laughs> and invest in yourself as a creative individual. There wasn't this fifteen point, you know, thing of how to get to be a a career but never give up. I and mean very simple even mentioned it might lead real... to different
2: ways to make a living. Yeah? You know the because so many people have told me earlier on and we were talking about my uh you know transition from Romania to the United States and when I arrived in New York I can't tell you how many people told me don't study art history, you know, do something practical. You know, you did your thing, you studied art history in Romania, but here you need to get a job, et cetera. And Mm. of course I didn't listen to their advice and I am so happy that I didn't because every day I go to work and I love what I do. And there's no, nothing, nothing can make up for that.
0: Mm, I love that. Yay. So speaking of your work, how did we get involved at the Cornell Fine Arts Museum?
2: Oh, there's so many ways. Um, first of all, you know, I hope that that you and all your listeners will come visit us because, as I said, we are open six days a week and we're always free. Uh, but if you want to get more involved, there is, of course, uh, the possibility of becoming a member. There is the possibility of becoming a volunteer. We have a growing docent core and we have a wonderful docent uh um, instructor and our docents are just fantastic. They they get to give some of the tours at the Alfont Inn that we were talking about. We've just introduced something called Throwback Thursdays, where we talk about historic art in the context of you know contemporary co- contemporary one. Um, and so there there all of this is listed on our on our website by the way. So give us we, that website address yes, again. The website is Rollins.edu uh, slash CFAM. CFAM stands for Cornell Fine Arts Museum. And, and so there, there are a lot of opportunities. We, as most museums, as most uh, art not-for-profits, rely so much on the generosity of, of individuals and on their time and expertise. You know, giving their time and their expertise is just so essential, as, as you all know. So we welcome people, uh, you know, coming in and uh, inquiring about how they can get involved. And there's always something fun to do.
0: I love that. What does it mean to become a member? If I become a member, what what does that look like?
2: Well, it looks like, um, first of all, the the membership is what makes it possible for us to offer all the programs free. Mm. So, you know, we have a sponsor for free admission, but the fact that you can come to all the tours and the lectures and not have to pay as a member of the public is really made possible by those who sign up for membership. So, they're a very important financial part of the museum. But then, you know, from from your point of view as a member, you get to come to previews, you get to come to various trips, you have, you know, sort of the inside track to the museum, and you get to participate more fully or more intimately in the family of of the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. You know, you get to interact with our curators and, and with our other staff and see behind the scenes, see a little bit what we have in storage that we don't always take out. Mm. So, you know, there, there, there are all these things that will get you to be a little bit more knowledgeable about what the museum is, how it functions, and in turn you can help us figure out better how we can create those types of programs that more people would love to be a part of.
1: Do you have a relationship with neighboring museums that you work collaboratively with on events? or? We do.
2: We do. We've worked at different times with uh, the Morse Museum with the uh, Holocaust Center, with the Maitland Art Center, with Crealde. So uh, other colleges. Uh, yes, we have uh, a partnership with UCF. Um, we we partner with the uh, Flying Horse, and also their students come to the museum. We also have students from Valencia that come very frequently um, from uh, Stetson so we try because we're very cognizant of the fact that we're the only academic art museum in the area Mm. you know college art museum we try to open our doors to all the um, other colleges and universities who may not have that on their campus.
0: And you also have a reciprocal membership as well like where you can go into other museums as part of being a member of yours? Absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it's called the Reciprocal Organization of Associated Museums. Hmm. <laughs> but it's it's museums all over North America, right? Oh, yes. Wow.
2: There are a couple of hundreds museum, hundred of museums that participate in that program, and it's a slightly higher membership level, I think maybe $150 or so. And that gets you into all the other museums that are participating. That's
1: lovely.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Magic 107.7 FM from the heart with Mary Thompson Hunt and myself, Joshua Vickery. We're talking to our wonderful guest today, Dr. Inna Heller of the Cornell Fine Arts Museum. So, Inna, you said this word earlier, docent.
1: I was just thinking that. <laughs> I was just thinking I wanted to know how that word came about.
0: Well, and what does it mean? If we, if somebody's listening tonight and never heard the word docent, what what does that mean if I get to come be a docent?
2: It's from the Latin word for to teach. So it's really an educator. And uh, so docents are people who are not um, staff of the museum, but who have a love of the arts and a love of learning and who become our interpreters. They become the people who welcome people into the museum and introduce them to this beautiful world of art.
0: That's And how would you, do you go through a training process for that? or
2: Yes, yes, we have, we have... Uh, uh, a training process that takes you know several months up to a year depending and uh then uh, you get to do practice tours with all of us and then uh, you no get- pressure right <laughs> <laughs> that's right and yes. is that
0: free to to be a part of or yes. is there- yes, it yes that is so Think cool if you learn that's if cool. only yeah. i had more time in the day i would totally go do that cuz yeah, i feel i feel a little bit because my world is performing arts mm-hmm. and so i feel a little bit um in the abyss, when it comes to visual arts, I know that I what I love and what I appreciate, but I I want to learn so much more about uh, that the beauty of visual art and and its meanings and its history and all of that. And I feel like that would be such a cool way to do it. It would. So if you have time and you have the, you know that you want to learn more, what a great way! It'll get involved a as a docent at, at the Cornell.
1: Um, all museums have them too, I believe. Absolutely. We spoke a little earlier that I read in some some knowledge when I was researching earlier, that they have a piece of artwork there that was created by one of the artists that worked on the Sistine Chapel. Isn't
2: yes. that amazing? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's it's a painting by Cosimo Rosselli, who was a Florentine painter of the 15th century, and he was called to Rome by the Pope in the um, 1480s. To come and paint the Sistine Chapel. This is of course before Michelangelo did the ceiling, so we're we're talking about the walls of the chapel. And he was one of, of a number of Florentine paintings painters, rather, who went there and did the narratives. And we amazing. have a right uh, here in, in our area. Yes, mm-hmm. we have a Madonna and Child by Cosimo Rosselli, which is on view all the time. It's one of our prized possessions. I can't wait to go. I see have it. a
0: super secret. You probably can't answer this, but what what does What's the value of the paintings in your collection?
2: Yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> I knew you couldn't, <laughs> but I
0: thought I'd ask. Can you can you answer is there one do, the most valuable painting how much it might be worth a range?
2: Um, you know, we really um and you'll you'll see this with all museums. Museum You're tiptoeing around this, so I can feel We're it. We're like, so don't like to talk about. It just got writing. so hot in here. I'm that is so commercial, Joshua. That's you know for galleries and auction houses. And then if next
1: week it was gone, you would feel so
0: horrible. But and I you our know what? Would be shocked but at the, the reason the, price the, of the some of
2: single these. most important reason we <laughs> don't like to talk about the value is because uh, for us art is invaluable. So mm. you know, numbers—it's priceless. Mm-hmm. It is. It's mm-hmm. priceless. And uh, um, so uh, you know, yes, we have some valuable pieces in the collection, but most importantly, it's the story they tell um, that to us is you know of the most value.
1: I feel the same way about Jason's work.
0: Uh, you, Jason's work <laughs> until, is invaluable until
1: they're offering a price. Like,
2: yeah, here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, we're gonna have to go soon. But recap for those that maybe just tuning in or have been listening this whole time. What is it that you want our listeners to take away about about Cornell today?
2: Um, I'd I'd like everybody to know that the Cornell Fine Arts Museum is a great community place and a great community resource. And it's a place where you can come and spend an hour, two hours, 45 minutes and relax and, and enjoy and experience something that you haven't experienced before. So, you know, if you're thinking of going uh, to Park Avenue for dinner, it's a perfect place to stop for an hour before. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have something um, to talk about you know, later. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great date. And date it's free. <laughs> you don't appear <laughs> cheap. Exactly. and And it's it's. Art brings joy to our lives, and it's so easy for all of us to partake, and, and some of us don't think about it. So just think about how easy it is to just make a little detour and come and look at some beautiful paintings, sculptures, videos, and and just replenish your, your batteries.
1: I have never regretted a time being in a museum with another person, whether it's a friend or my mm-hmm. husband or a relative. Never regretted the time. In fact, always was grateful that we took the time because of the conversations you have. Mm-hmm. You learn so much more about your relationship, that other person, and even yourself when you talk about something you're seeing. And who cares if it's the right or wrong conversation? Mm-hmm. That's just it. There is no right or wrong.
0: You know, and also to jump on that, I you, you talk, talk a little bit about, you know, say, say Disney World. You know, there's nothing like going to Disney World with a kid and seeing it through the eyes of a kid. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like going to a museum or to a gallery than with a five or six year old and have them tell you yes. <laughs> what does that painting look like to you? And uh I took my nieces and nephews recently to a gallery and you know, they were like a little bit bored because they're, you know, very young kids. But it was also really cool to hear them talk about what the paintings, what they thought they were. Mm. And of course I knew they were wrong in some entrances, but it's like you really think that about that civil war painting that that was, you know, just yesterday or something. It's but just you interesting. Got them thinking you got and them thinking talking about art and having conversation, which mm-hmm. is what what we love to ha- do here mm-hmm. on this show.
2: You know, just to circle back to what you said earlier, Joshua, about how do you make history become relevant? I just want to mention one event that's coming up in 2 weeks on the 21st of March um at the muse Actually, it's in at the chapel on the um on the campus of Rollins and it ties into the exhibition that we have up right now and and it is it's a performance piece by one of our local artists Wanda Varimundi Ortiz but it is based on the iconography of the Pietà, on Michelangelo, and that scene, you know, where the Virgin Mary cradles the dead body of, of Jesus. Mm, mm-hmm. So it's it it really connects beautifully historic art and those themes that have been represented in art for so long, but translates it into not only into performing performance art, which is of course a uh, you know a contemporary, modern, and contemporary uh, way of of uh, artistic creation. But it's also, it updates it in that it came from Wanda's uh, fear. She wanted to investigate the fear of losing a child to violence, especially, uh, you know, a child of color. So it ties into some very timely and, uh, you know, topics. And yet it uses the language of art that is, you know, four or five hundred years old. And I think that's a great lesson that brings that together. And I invite everybody to come. It's at six o'clock in Nell's Chapel on March 21st. And it is free and open to the public. It'll have music, you know, hip hop and rap. And, and she will have this beautiful costume and she will perform Cradling 33 young people of color. Wow. For three and a half minutes each, because 33, of course, was the the age at which Jesus was crucified. How relevant. March 21st,
0: six o'clock on the campus of Rollins at the Knowles Chapel. Yes. Awesome. And also join Mary and I for happy hour on a Wednesday. The first Wednesday of <laughs> next month. The first Wednesday of next month. We're going to put that in our calendar and go. And uh, Dr. Heller, thank you for the great work that you're doing thank in you. our community and all the ways that thank Cornell so is making lives better uh, for sure. Go check out orlandoatplay.com for all the exciting things that are happening in our arts. Field. Get out and support the arts and join us next week on From the Heart Magic 107.7 FM.